This is a podcast from the Irish to the rescue, the tercentenary of the Polish princess Clementina's escape. This seminar was organized on the occasion of the tercentenary of the rescue of the Polish princess Maria Clementina Sobieska from captivity in Innsbruck in April 1719 by a small group of Irish and French people in a most dramatic fashion. The event took place in Europe House in Dublin on the 30th of April 2019 and was generously sponsored by the Embassy of the Republic of Poland in Dublin, the Embassy of France in Ireland, the Alliance Francaise Dublin, Rathmines College of Further Education, the Technological University of Dublin and Dublin City Council. In this episode, a recording of a paper by Dr. Aneta Markusewska from University of Warsaw. Her paper was entitled Political Illusions in Musical Compositions Dedicated to James III Stuart and Maria Clementina Sobieska in 1719, Rome. Thank you very much. As we already know, Maria Clementina Sobieska and James Francis Edward Stuart had two marriage ceremonies, one by proxy in Bologna and the second with James being in present in person in Montefiascone. And the aim of my presentation today is to give you an outline of Maria Clementina's public image in the period between those two ceremonies and to analyze the musical compositions dedicated to the couple in 1719, particularly an oratorio celebrating Maria Clementina's marriage to James Stewart at Montefiascone. Uh, in Rome, Sobieska was given a queen's welcome. In June 1719, the journal Mercurio Storico e Politico ran the following announcement. On the 13th day of the foregoing month, that princess arrived in Rome in the carriages of the pretender, who styles himself King of England, and whom, as they say, she had married by proxy in Bologna. She was greeted outside the Porta del Popolo by Cardinals Gualtieri and Acquaviva and by other persons of high rank, who moved aside after exchanging the first greetings. After that, the cardinals took her to the Ursuline Monastery, where an apartment had been prepared for her and where she was given a great deal of rinfreschi on behalf of the Pope and Cardinals Gualtieri and Acquaviva. The, end quote. In the early days spent in, at the Ursuline Monastery, Sobiska took visits from church chirurgs and ladies of Rome, and she made excursions to the city. Wherever she went, she was surrounded by her large entourage and was greeted as a royalty. I quote. She went to see the capital, where she was welcomed with the sound of trumpets and drums and all the honors due, the, due to the crown heads. The same happened when she went to see the English college in the company of Cardinal Gualtieri, where she was waited upon like a queen, end quote. Charles Persson, director of the Academy de France, wrote about her visit at the capital and mentioned, I quote, the noise of trumpets, kettle drums, oboes, and drums, end quote. Instruments such as trumpets, named here in the first place, were used at the time as manifestations of majesty, heroism, and kingly might. On the occasion of this visit from Maria Clementina, person added, that princess allowed the gathering to admire her as on all the other occasions in which she found herself. She is praised for her extraordinary bright and beautiful mind, 
which, as they say, is founded on prudence and will still be admirable in an older person, end quote. This is yet another proof of Maria Clementina's talent for winning the hearts and minds of strangers. In June, Sobiska celebrated James Stewart's birthday with, quote, a solemn mass and the singing of Te Deum at the church of the Ursuline sisters, where she has taken residence, end quote. In July, on the occasion of her own birthday, Le Mercure wrote, quote, on the 17th day to celebrate the birthday of Princess Sobieska, there was a musical choir and a mass celebrated by the bishop in the Ursuline church, end quote. On her birthday, a cantata was dedicated to Maria Clementina with a libretto, probably by Francesco Bianchini, and music, sadly lost, by Signor Giovanni Giorgi Veneziano. The title page of the libretto print reads, Cantata per il giorno natalizio della Sacra Reale Maestà Britannica di Clementina Regina d'Inghilterra, and so on. Very briefly. Maria Clementina's birthday was put to several uses. Firstly, to celebrate her union with James, alluded to in the phrase Unione delle due stelle dette benefiche, a union of two stars called beneficial. And secondly, to revive the memory of the royal past of the family she was marrying into. For that purpose, a reference was made to an embassy once sent to the Pope by her late father-in-law, King James II Stuart, on his accession to the English throne. For that occasion, Queen Christina of Sweden organized a magnificent academy preserved for posterity in many chronicles, a published account of the celebrations, a print of the welcoming address made to the new ambassador, a libretto print indicating that the celebrations involved the performance of, of a cantata by Bernardo Pasquini with a 100-person strong choir and an orchestra made up of 150 instrumentalists under, 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 under Corelli, uh, Arcangelo Corelli as conductor. According to the print of the cantata dedicated to Maria Clementina, the passages printed in italics came from Pasquini's composition and passages in open quotes came from the welcoming address resulting in a pasticcio political cantata. This basic information clearly demonstrates that Maria Clementina provoked interest among influential Romans and diplomats. Despite her young age, she was given a respectful welcome befitting a monarch, and she made an excellent impression on the people she met. She seems to have easily taken to her new capacity as a public person, in line with the designs of the Jacobite party and the politics of the Roman Curia. Journey to Montefiascone. Dated the 9th September, there is an entry in Diario di Cracas explaining that one week earlier, after visiting the Pope at 9 a.m., Sobieska set out to Montefiascone to meet up with her husband. Not much information survives about the wedding celebrations. The story Di Montefiascone offers the following facts. The following evening after the wedding, a holy musical oratorio was presented in the cathedral, performed by excellent musicians. And the following evening, the seminarians and college students performed a theater play 
teatrale rappresentanza in the liceo for the royal couple. Aside from that day, the stewards turned down on any other solemn manifestations that the city authorities had in mind. The October issue of Mercurio Storico e Politico included a story that Maria Clementina's wedding gift for her husband was, I quote, a jewel-encrusted walking stick, whereas he gave her a precious jewel which she had been given in Madrid, end quote. The French Le Mercure reported that the gift was, quote, a diamond-studded dagger which her grandfather, King John I Sobieski, found after his relief of Vienna in the chest of the Grand Vizier. End quote. The musical composition performed to celebrate the wedding was an oratorio entitled Santa Maria Maddalena de Pazzi. Before I move on to look at it, let me first offer a brief introduction to the life of the eponymous woman who was celebrated in that piece dedicated to the stewards. Maria Maddalena de Pazzi, born on 2nd April 1566 in Florence as Caterina de Pazzi, came from the powerful and ancient Pazzi family whose ancestry stretched far back into the Middle Ages. At the age of 14, Caterina de Pazzi was sent to a monastery to get an education. She, she soon came to excel in religious fervor and developed early symptoms of an eating disorder we would now call anorexia. When her father made some early arrangements for a future marriage, Katerina apparently said, I quote, Father, let me tell you that I would rather have my head chopped off than fail to become a nun, End quote. She didn't waver in her resolve. At the age of 16, she completed her trial period and to her parents' great dismay, entered the monastery of Santa Maria degli Angeli. Without going into detail here, she acted at first in ways that created all sorts of problems for her, for her congregation and for her mother superior. However, her idiosyncrasies were quickly recognized as signs of great spirituality, devotion and closeness to God. Katerina, who chose Mary Magdalena as her monastic name, refused food for extended periods of time, sought to mortify her, her flesh in various ways, and experienced exhausting episodes of religious ecstasy, which her fellow sisters recorded. Above everything else, she embraced suffering and refused to take medication in periods of illness. She died in 1607. The Church of Rome used her influence by making her the patron saint of the country reformation. She was beatified in 1626 and canonized in 1669. Eric Dingwell, the late British anthropologist who wrote a 1962 study called Very Peculiar People, described her behavior as, I quote, a classic example of the aesthetic female flagellant and masochistic exhibitionist, with now and then, as might be expected, a slight sadistic streak, end quote. Rudolf Bell, who invented the term holy anorexia, was more charitable, noting that, I quote, illness now emerges as the main theme of holy anorexic lives, how they are visited by God with strange, painful melodies, how they suffer and thereby grow spiritually, 
how death ultimately allows them to fully embrace the bridegroom in heaven. Illness becomes the alternative to heresy, sorcery, or insanity as the male clerical explanation of holy anorexic behavior. End quote. This choice of hurrying for the oratorio would not have been surprising for a whole day or a religious event. But why was it accepted in a secular context as a fitting subject for celebrating a marriage ceremony with strong political overtones? I will get back to this question soon. The Ribretto of Santa Maria Maddalena de Pazzi was not a new work made to order for the wedding of James Stewart and Maria Clementina Sobieska. Instead, the verses were taken from an earlier libretto by Cardinal Benedetto Panfili, who had formed an interest in the life of that saint at an earlier date. And here you can see the migrations of this libretto with um, many different composers who composed music to this text, and the 1719 version for Montefiascone. Regrettably, we don't know who set Panfili's text to music on that occasion. It has been conjectured that it might have been Alessandro Scarlatti, but that conjecture is not supported by any sources. The printed libretto um, opens with a long dedication. The dedication emphasizes that the city of Montefiascone should consider itself, itself particularly blessed now that those two magnificent doves chose it as the place for their wedding. The union is not the work of fate or random chance, but rather it is a part of a divine plan made by God in his eternal wisdom. Indeed, close emotional bond between the bride and the groom suggests that they souls knew each other in the immortal realm before they entered their earthly bodies, and that this world can never put the union asunder. Accordingly, this joyous day shall be celebrated with divine melodies. Later verses praise the wit and sophistication of Pamphilius Libretto in portraying the emotions of its saintly subject. Four characters appear in the libretto, Maria Magdalena, her mother and father, and Amor Divino, divine love. In the first part, we witness exchanges between Maria Magdalena and her parents, who deplore her decision to join a monastery. Uh, in the second part of the oratorio, Amor Divino helps Maria Magdalena's parents accept their daughter's choice, and they ask her to forgive them. Maria Magdalena is gladdened by their change of heart. She is surrounded by heavenly light. Amor Divino crowns her with a crown of roses and lilies, a jewel of paradise that is a gift from her divine spouse. The family is reconciled. Maria Magdalena declares her perpetual devotion to divine love and embraces suffering in which she finds solace. And here you have a typical part of, um, typical fragment of what she very often sings in or sung in that oratory. This brings me back to the question that I raised in the beginning, namely, why should Maria Magdalena de Pazzi, of all people, have been viewed as a suitable figure for celebrations on a, on a joyous occasion like the royal wedding? That problem must have also troubled the author of the dedication who wrote Perhaps it might seem ill-fitting to put together religious vows and a royal wedding. 
that an obscure monastery where a lone soul finds her habitation might clash with the splendor of their majesties, which draws the eyes of almost all the universe. As a matter of fact, it's not so. A wedding between souls filled with God, assisted by grace, could not be a more fitting occasion for celebration with an epithelamion whose subject matter is a holy virgin summoned by divine love to a wedding in paradise." In other words, the organizers of the wedding celebrations saw the figure of Maria Maddalena do Pazzi, a female saint treated by the church as a counter-reformation trophy, as a fitting subject for celebrating the wedding of a Catholic couple, James Stewart and Maria Clementina. Moreover, Santa Maria Maddalena, who regarded God as her beloved and divine spouse, was being presented to them as a paragon of faith. The oratorio subject matter was therefore calculated to unequivocally emphasize the Stuart alignment with Roman Catholicism. The dedication also includes wishes of good political fortune, including numerous offspring, and most importantly, a successful reclamation of the throne. I quote, Great and beautiful souls, nothing can darken your carefree peace. Reason guided by human law hastens to restore the crown unto you on earth. End quote. The newlyweds stayed at Montefiascona until the early November. They kept a connection with the city following their journey back to Rome and maintained correspondence with the city authorities. Clementina also sent some gifts to be displayed as ornaments in their local cathedral. James and Maria Clementina were both music lovers and later became patrons of Teatro de Libert, one of Rome's leading opera stages, which they used to promote the political political cause of the pretender. However, in closing, I'd like to focus on Maria Clementina. Over time, the choice of Santa Maria Maddalena de Pazzi as the centerpiece of the wedding celebrations seemed to have been prophetic. Following a period of separation from her husband and after spending almost two years in the monastery of Santa Cecilia in Trastevere, Maria Clementina was a changed woman. She spent her final years, years in prayer, mortification of the flesh, fasting, and efforts to help her sons. Although the couple later mended their relationship, Maria Clementina lost heart for politics and earthly pleasures. In the words of Michel Vauvel, Sobieska's life was overshadowed by death. She died at the age of 33 and very nearly joined the ranks of the holy anorexics. Documents preserved in the Archivio di Stato in Rome indicate that the effort was launched in the 1740s to arrange for Maria Clementina's beatification. In the end, the beatification process never came to anything, but the Pope commemorated her with a thumb and a statue in, the, in St. Peter's Basilica. In this way, Maria Clementina became one of major female figures in the history of Rome and the Catholic Church. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Irish to the Rescue, the tercentenary of the Polish Princess Clementina's escape. If you would like to listen back to more podcasts from the seminar, please go to historyhub.ie forward slash podcasts.